Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio, WFMPLP Louisville, broadcasting from right here in the historic Hayburn Building on a beautiful fall day. My goodness, so we have great views up here on the eighth floor of the Hayburn of the beautiful sunshine we've got going right here in downtown Louisville. And we also live stream on forwardradio.org. We want you to go to that website to become a part of our community radio station. This is truly radio. Radio for the people, by the people. We have no advertising. We rely entirely on your contributions, so you can click donate while you're there. But we also rely entirely on volunteer power. So if you've got an idea you want to share, if you've got a vision, if you've got a community that you want to put a megaphone in front of, this can be your station to do that. Click participate, go to forwardradio.org and get involved today. What we do here on Sustainability Now is uh, sit down with interesting people in the community. I love it when it's a day like today when I get to meet somebody totally new who I've never <laughs> met before. I'm sitting in the studio with Laura Obanoff, and she is a neighbor of a former guest on this program. That's how it works, my friends. It snowballs. Uh, you may have re remembered our programs with Jason Abbott. Well, Laura lives in Deer Park near Jason, and she's a mom and a lifelong artist who is working on an ecology and spirituality master's and taking a pause, I love it, to focus on possibilities of community level impact. We are going to have a very expansive conversation today, Laura. Yes, I yes. love it. Welcome. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> Thank Radio. you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm glad this worked out. Yay, neighbors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. So is Jason the funky neighbor or how did you guys meet? Totally. I saw him across the, he's my across the street neighbor, okay. but um, we used to wave across the yeah, way at each yeah. other, but I saw solar panels going up at his house one day and I thought this hey. is somebody I need to know ecology person. Yay. So I saw his wife leaving the house one day and I very awkwardly chased her down. I said, Allison, please tell me about your solar panels. And then that just kicked off everything else. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And do you do things at your house too that are like that? They're funky. I try. I'm, I'm, I have been always very interested in gardening, but I had no experience oh, with yeah. it. Well, so Jason doesn't either, but it comes. I had the blackest of black thumbs most of my life. And then finally, um, just after getting my hands dirty. It's coming along and I'm very fascinated with native plants and just oh, yeah? recently replanted my whole front yard in natives, which Ooh. I'm super jazzed about. Yeah, um, I am too. <laughs> it's, I can't wait uh, to see what happens. In the backyard, I had done a lot from seed and had a whole charm of goldfinches come and just spend oh, their days, wow. which at first I thought there were parakeets in my yard. I've never, <laughs> I've never seen them in the wild. And then I saw yellow and green birds taking off and wow. were, they were male and female goldfinches oh my so, gosh that's such a treat yeah. it was amazing it was <laughs> thrilling <laughs> i love that you got rid of your lawn lawns are so ridiculous to me and the fact that we yes. we all seem to think we have to be a good neighbor by putting in a manicured lawn when in fact that's like one of the worst things the, you can do for your neighborhood <laughs> yes it's true but it is strange though this pressure we put on ourselves like yeah. what are others gonna think we have these very tied to our ideals of aesthetics yes very counterproductive <laughs> exactly which i suppose ties to our broader concept we're going to talk about today yeah. about towards healthy ecology the imperative to make space for quality relationships. I love it. And consciousness as practiced by traditional cultures and indicated by the latest science. So you have obviously started digging into some of these issues. Why does this kind of topic really resonate with you, Laura? 
I think for the longest time, I mean, being an artist, so many artists, you are focused on relationships. Um, acting yeah. was my art field. So with acting, of course, relationships are where it all is, the, right. the topics of chemistry. So there was always that aspect. I've always, since a child, had a deep fascination with the natural world. But then I had this whole interest in yoga and consciousness and philosophy. Mm. And I used to think years ago, wow, wouldn't it be great if there was a way <laughs> to blend all these interests together? But 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't that apparent where there was the blend. They, about five years ago, I started researching. I happened to be on the road at the time. I was doing um, a Broadway national tour, and oh I was gosh. on a bus trip. Oh and I started searching again for programs that did intersect. And I found them, but the one I wanted was in Wales. And at the time, I thought, I can't pick up my life and move to Wales yeah. at that juncture. Yeah. But I guess one of the blessings, if one could say that, <laughs> of what we found during the pandemic was so much moved online. And this program did open up instruction for online. So I was able to find this crossroads of ecology, which is about relationships and spirituality, our relationship into the larger whole. You know, it's great that we're having this conversation right now, in part because of ties to what you were just saying about where we're all at mentally in this pandemic-y moment, (laughs) about (laughs) about how how it's impacted our relationships. But also, for me personally, this is a great moment to be having this conversation, because I really feel like in the last month, I've come to a new understanding of, you know, in my work at UofL, I'm constantly having to, like, explain what I think of when I think of sustainability, what I think it means, what it means to me, and what we need to do to be more sustainable. Obviously, there's a lot of detail you get into there but like people are always questioning what is the fundamental what what is it really what are you trying to sustain those kinds of questions right and to me it's really about relationships and about healing our relationships to each other and to the broader world and all the unsustainability we have in our world right now is sort of just a symptom of these failed or broken relationships and humans getting in the way of ecosystem relationships too right right so i'm so excited that you you're studying this and we get uh, we get the time today to really dive into it um so that's a, some framing. Um, yeah. But let's let's back up a little bit. For listeners who haven't studied ecology, and there's so many ways we apply ecology now, too. This term gets applied in lots of different ways. But what would you say ecology is? Ecology, the root of the word is the study of one's home or one's house. So a lot of people, they hear ecology and they think, oh, it's nature. Home well, economics. Ab- <laughs> that, that, yeah, right, right, right. And there, you know, there is, it's, that plays into it as well. Uh, most people hear ecology and they think, oh, it's the natural world. It just, and, which that is true. It is, but it's but more But they than, separate themselves yes, from that, right? That yeah. is true. There is still a separation yeah. where ecology is as microcosmic and as macrocosmic as you want to get. Mm. We have ecologies within ourselves. If you want to just get to your basic physiology, I mean, your body is an ecology of cells. Right. You're an ecology of thoughts. You have an ecology with the relationships in your home, uh, with the people in your home with the beings or objects in your home with and then you can keep expanding this that out to your neighborhood to your state to your planet to your to the cosmos it can go as small or as large as you want it yeah. to go and ecology, ecology really knows no ba- 
boundaries. We put up all these boundaries, whether it's our house or our state, like you were struggling to yes. identify all the boundaries that we think of as humans and they mean nothing to right. relationships and to ecology. I mean, we put them in a way of relationships, I guess you could say. But I love that thinking. You know, I've I've often heard quoted the scientists say that there are more cells of other species in a human body than there are of humans, right? And that's we are so reliant on our gut bacteria, our skin bacteria, like all these bacteria that we don't even know the names of, much yes. less feel are part of us. In fact, we want to kind of get as sterile as we can, right. not realizing that that threatens our own health. It's right? true. Well, we are very, I think we are very trained within our, our culture to segment everything. Yeah. We we like our labels. We like categories. <laughs> we like the neatness. Yeah, um, in fact, yeah. ecology was known as the subversive science because rather than segmenting, it tries to draw everything together and show the the connections in the web and uh, it, the complexity. And most people are afraid of complexity because yeah. it seems complicated. When, yeah. And really, it's just elegant. <laughs> It's it's an elegant complexity. And so we make laws saying you need to mow your lawn, right? You can't let the weeds, quote unquote weeds, get so tall, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't like to see that complexity. It's kind of scary. We right. we then assume that there are threats there, whether it's a weed seed or snakes or whatever, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So true. So <laughs> it's so hard to get people to realize that we need to embrace that complexity and that diversity if we really want to be resilient and strong. I think that's true. And, you know, so many times when we think about the, just the state of uh, where the world is going and we think that people are just being greedy or um, people just don't care about the environment, it's maybe that's there. But I think a lot of it is the fear that you were yeah. talking about. Mm -hmm. It's wanting things to be different, but we have all these fears that we don't know what to do with or how we can go about and feel moderately safe and secure or make sure our families feel moderately safe and secure yeah. in the midst of this wide ecosystem. And so how do we deal with that fear? It gets down to like a fear of loss of control, I think, mm -hmm. and especially in the U.S. context. I think a lot of us feel like we're supposed to be in control of our domain, of our futures, whatever. So the, so the reaction I love to think of is what happens when you see a bug? And so many right. people freak the hell out if they yeah. see a spider in their house. Like, uh, uh, it's like red lights. Like this is this gotta go. Like, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> is this spider even vaguely a threat to you? No, not necessarily. It could be. Sure. There's certain spiders that we need to know about, but I think it just raises alarm bells for us because we want that control, right? I think I think that's true. And I'm also curious, where does that fear come from? Is it stemming from ourselves, or is there some collective unconscious because of spiders certain species can be a threat to us or yeah. maybe have been in the past are we drawing on that and then that leads to sort of this fear that really like you were saying is a bit irrational yeah. in the moment i mean consider our size consider their size come on but it doesn't change the fact that our experience often is one of revulsion yeah. and yeah it's funny <laughs> it is it's so strange <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about how you see the typical relationship that we have to earth or nature in our modern culture and how that's kind of broken sure i believe that we tend to see i think you you touched on it earlier it's a there's a separation there's yeah. the human world and there's the natural world it is either something to use or maybe right. through, or uh, through a positive, quote-unquote positive way, it's something to protect. But nevertheless, it is something separate from us. It is not something that we are just a plain citizen mm. within and a part of. Mm. We tend to avoid the natural impulses even within ourselves and try to, quote-unquote, rise above them. Yeah. Or dominate. Yes. Or control. Yes. Yes. Totally. 
totally. Yeah. And understanding the need for reciprocal relationships, I think, is so valuable, not just in our human nature relationship, but with each other. And one of the other things I've been realizing is really valuable to me in, you know, telling people like what I do to be sustainable. I do this thing, I do that thing. But really for me, I feel like it's fundamental to share that what's joyful about it for me is being a producer and not just a consumer Mm. in this world Uh, and giving back as well as taking something, right? And that is very (laughs) anti-capitalist. Yeah, yeah. And isn't that funny why? Because so much, you there are gains in the long term, maybe not necessarily in the short term, but if you want to think about it through what you're gaining yeah. um, from that mindset, there are, th- when you are engaged in true reciprocal relationships, those are the gifts that keep on giving. Yeah. It's I believe it's Robin Wall Kimmerer that stated so beautifully. I love and Robin, yeah. I, I'm in love with her too. <laughs> <laughs> if you take care of somebody, it will take care of you, generally yeah. speaking. But we lose sight of that. Well, you've brought up a very prominent indigenous author, uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. So let's talk about that. What is the case for quality interconnection and indigenous practice? It's so fascinating as I was going through the program where there is this seemingly paradoxical blend with some of the most ancient wisdom and then some of the most cutting edge theory. And they line up Mm. in ways that we, I think, are not really aware of in our modern culture. Yeah. In, in indigenous culture, there's, uh, and I will quantify this by saying indigenous culture is not meant to say that every single indigenous culture has the exact same beliefs. Certainly not. Right. I mean, everything is specific. and right. But there are certain patterns of seeing humans as just a part of the natural world and seeing the world as alive. It is full of beings that are both human and non-human and every thing in the cosmos is something that you can build a relationship mm. with, that you can be reciprocal with, mm. that you can communicate with. And this lines up very much with some of the latest quantum cutting edge theory, things like the Gaia hypothesis, where James Lovelock, he was a NASA atmospheric scientist, yeah. uh, along with Lynn Margulis, who was a biologist. They believe that Earth is one large organism, basically self-regulating organism, which is fascinating. Yeah. And so this this interconnection that way uh, with when it comes to quantum physics with observer hypothesis that uh, it is not just something that is existing in sort of this, this vacuum where it just has objective properties, but it changes based on how you are observing it. So it is impossible to know how quanta behaves because as soon as you look at it or measure it, it changes yeah. based on the quality of with which you are observing it. So so the the notion of indigenous ancient wisdom of everything can be related to and communicated with, and there's the reciprocal exchange that both affects it and impacts you, lines up with those notions of observer hypothesis or guy hypothesis. There's a constant back and forth communication that is that is affecting the reality that we are living in. Which is why I guess you often hear indigenous cultures referring to other things in our natural world, whether it's Brother Bear or Mother Wind or something like that as in that way of a human relationship almost yes and totally reconceptualizing it i love that and and when you're talking about the gaia theory 
boy, what if we are the gut bacteria of a larger right. organism? Right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's mind blowing. I mean, the world becomes such a, a much more magical place that not only do you feel a duty to protect, but you want to because we are living with this magic and this enchantment all around us. And it's something very special and worth protecting. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, we're already diving in deep <laughs> to it. I want to just back up and yeah. reintroduce Laura Obanoff is here. She is a mom and lifelong artist working on an ecology and spirituality master's degree. So uh, we are talking about those issues today here on Sustainability Now. Man, particle physics, observer effect, entanglement, these are these are theories most people are not getting exposed to and obviously big, big concepts. Could you speak a little bit more about what you know about that and how, how it sort of affects your worldview? Sure. So I got introduced to it myself through, I think Freya Matthews was the initial, uh, her book, The Ecological Self. She's an environmental philosopher and uh, she was reporting on the works of different physicists through time as she would talk about the work of Heisenberg a lot of this this entanglement and observer theory was existed around the time of Einstein it just wasn't really broadly talked about oh. um, because we were so deep down the road already yeah. of 1600 science where everything was very segmented right. uh, so talking about particle entanglement and connectedness would have been very anti-production mindset <laughs> I guess if you right. will it's very hard to objectify something when you can admit that you are a part of it yeah. and there is inherent reciprocal exchange, whether you want it or not, whether you are conscious of it or not, it is happening. Yeah. So I was I was introduced to it through reading her book, but then I went down this rab this wonderful rabbit hole uh, reading the work of Irvin Laszlo, a physicist, and uh, he believes or has posited a theory called the Akashic field, integral theory of everything, um, <laughs> which <laughs> parallels some of the work of David Bohm, who talked about holograms and a holographic theory of the universe and of creation. And um, basically, the Akashic field of everything is this all-pervasive field similar to the electromagnetic field of quanta. And probably there's a physicist out there that is, is crying with the way I'm describing this right now. <laughs> Um, but that this Akashic field basically stores the quanta in all of its potentialities. And every version of reality that could exist is stored within this field. Oh. Uh, and all sorts of information that is either coming into manifestation or staying latent. Um, with, But uh, the potentialities of all quanta is consistently there. And it is is just stored almost like a hologram that could be uh, brought so, into yeah it could be recalled really at any wow. what, really at any time. That seems like, and I know this is hard to talk about yeah. and describe in general terms, but that seems like a an easier theory to swallow than the general way I've heard parallel universes mm -hmm. described, where. At any moment, there's an infinite number of parallel universes going on. And I'm always like, wait, wait, where, how does that work? But having the information always stored. Yes. That, I can I can sort of wrap my brain about that at least somehow. Yeah, and it does seem, so the Akashic field, I'm glad you brought that up, the parallel universes. That sounds um, like super string theory. So okay. when there are, um, which if you think about quanta, which or I guess we could say, like, let's say you have a thought. And in super string theory, that thought might spring off some parallel universe. Or a, or a string yeah. that contains a universe where in the Akashic field of everything, that thought or that potentiality, it doesn't create another universe, but it, it like it stores the other potentialities, but they sort of they sort of cancel out and you're just on one path, I wow. suppose. And so sort of the present determines the past. 
Wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about animism. Uh, it, this is obviously something that has been practiced by indigenous cultures, but I, I suppose is still practiced today, right? I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody can be can be an animist. It's just about people having good re reciprocal relationships, respectful okay. relationships with others. Um, yes. And I, th I think usually people think of it as uh, like animals or plants having spirit in a sense, right? I think, Is that yes. a good way to think about it? I believe so. And I mean, it, can, it doesn't even just have to be things that we perceive as alive. I mean, you could even, many indigenous cultures also hold relationships with stones, yeah. with, with water, with um, the atmosphere itself, with the cosmos, planets, stars. Wow. Um, any that, and the thought behind that is if we're, if you go back to something like the Big Bang, we all once were, we came from the same source. Yeah. So even though we are now all in different form, we came from sort of, I guess, back to that lazo and all pervasive information, Akashic field yeah. that now is just manifest in different form. But if quantum entanglement is, huh. is true or it, it proves out then we all once were entangled. So yeah. there's that interconnection, that possibility. I should say that potentiality for interconnection is there. And this ties to the concept of consciousness, right? Do we yes. think these inanimate things, or even animals, I mean, or plants, do they have consciousness? There is um, a neurobiologist, um, Giulio Tononi, I hope I'm saying his name right. He's from the University of Wisconsin, and he was... Um, positing consciousness as a theory of integrated information, basically. And it, from his point of view, consciousness is, is anything. The potentiality for consciousness is in anything that can basically offer information about itself, whether that is a computer chip or a plant or, a, or a, anything that can deliver a piece of information has the potentiality for consciousness which goes back to the in indigenous belief that everything was sort of treated as it could have the potentiality for consciousness. Nothing was taken for granted. Wow. Imagine if we all thought that. How would we treat each other? Well, how would we treat the world differently? How would we treat anything? It would yeah. take a profound amount of time and yeah. quality attention, um, which is, I think often an obstacle so many people feel so pressed for time that yeah. their ability to interact with integrity and quality with much in their surrounding yeah. is it's a challenge and it gets to this idea of true materialism mm -hmm. we talk about the u.s being a materialist culture where to me i think that's a little bit wrong i think we're more of like a greedy culture because <laughs> yeah. yeah. a true materialist values the, the the item and wouldn't want it as many of them as they can get right they would be about really appreciating quality and maybe the potential consciousness even of the item right right and, and i think robin wall Kimmerer, she had a great way of stating this that um in in current culture we tend to view property as it comes with a bill of rights where an indigenous right. culture they would view it as a bill of responsibilities once Ooh, you gain yeah. objects or materials it becomes your your responsibility to care right. for or not only those objects themselves, but what was the line of um, it coming into being? So if it was a group of humans that brought that object um, that now you hold, how are you uh, giving back or reciprocal to those those possibly anonymous people that hmm. brought that to you? There's, there's so much anonymity in the things that we have. And then because we are such a disposable culture, right. there can be a lack of 
responsibility or consciousness. Um, yeah, imagine how that might change our consumerism. Would we buy so much if we did have to maintain responsibility mm, for everything right? that came into our home? Or for crying out loud, at least pay the cost of disposal. Right. <laughs> Which we don't. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, I, I love thinking about this and I, I also love thinking about what it, how it manifests in uh, indigenous practices uh, related to things or other creatures that we tend in, in modern culture, quote unquote, to dismiss. Like, you know, indigenous peoples hunted and fished, right? But doing so in a way where you recognize the other beings' consciousness and you give thanks Yes. Uh, when you take another life. Yes. Uh, that's a very different conception of a relationship, I guess. I think that's that's very, very true. And there for there was, a, I think, a chapter in Robin Wall's Kimmerer's book, and it wasn't necessarily about taking a life in this one, but it went into that. It was more about collecting rice. And um, there was um, an indigenous person in a canoe with mm. um, a, a person of European descent, and they mm. were going to gather rice. And... Um, the when they had gathered a little less than half, they were finished. And the, the person of European descent said, why are you stopping? You're leaving <laughs> half of the rice where it is. You need to finish doing this job. And the person turned and he said, well, what would the ducks eat? Yeah. And if they're not fed, how will we eat? Because we depend on the ducks surviving where it is. It's a big paradigm shift when you think the job is to sort of decimate or conquer right. all of a certain food source and make it yours rather than thinking that if it is surviving and flourishing you will also survive and flourish this is why i love having an asparagus bed at uofl because (laughs) here's a place i can demonstrate to people this fundamental principle because most of the year when they look and when i point to it and say and that's our asparagus bed people are like what they they have never seen what an (laughs) asparagus plant looks like they only think of the thing they get in the grocery store right right Without realizing that that's a new shoot of a plant in the spring. And if we were greedy and we harvested them all, there would be no future asparagus because the plant wouldn't grow and make leaves and capture solar power all summer, right? And put it back into the roots. And so that's like a a concrete example of a more sustainable way to relate uh, to other, other beings and in this case to asparagus bed, right? Absolutely. And it all starts with just that, that paradigm shift of the way you're viewing and the quality of how you are thinking about something. Is something an object, something for you to use? Yeah. Or is it this other miraculous being sort of that is here and sharing space with you and if you're taking care of it it, and you can form a relationship with it wow um and you know also just we tend to yes we do have these really cool brains we're these humans but because we have these really cool brains we tend to think that we're sort of the top of this tier and that we have a better understanding of everything else when in actuality (laughs) considering the length of creation we've been here for a speck of it so yes even though something may not speak in a language we can understand do we just stick with a reductionist theory that it can't speak at all or maybe should we flip that paradigm and think that we just don't have the ability to understand its language yet that's a great way to put it. So I studied geology in college, and I'm familiar with the geologic time scale. And, yeah. you know, over and over in these classes, I would learn about how 
if you put the history of the earth is the length of your finger, you know, the entire human existence is just file the nail once and it's gone, right? Like that's how, how little bit of the history of the earth has been defined by humans. Yes. So it's, it's kind of shocking how, how we are so radically altering the planet now, but given our numbers and our technology and our wealth, I mean, it's, it's stunning what we're, we're doing uh, in a disturbing way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, that when we get in those different those different time scales, and you mentioned it right at the start about how ecology works at the macro and micro level, and the same thing is true temporally, right? Like mm -hmm. when when I get in that space, that's when I really start to feel spiritual. Mm. Is when I can like close my eyes and lose sense of scale in, in space and time and feel like I am part of something way bigger that I can't possibly comprehend. Does oh, that, that resonate with you? That's beautiful. That's, <laughs> and I love that you're a geologist. I was curious. I wanted to learn more about what is your favorite geological formation that you visited? I want to, this is wonderful. I love rocks and stones. So this is well, great. Just, it's just the concept that like we have rocks that were formed underneath lakes or, yeah. or ocean, vast oceans that are now at the tops of the highest mountains, right. right? Because that's, we're on a living planet. We're on rock that is constantly in motion, even though we can't sense it. And very rarely there'll be an extreme event like an earthquake or, wow, the volcanoes that have been happening in, in the last year have really made the news and like, wow, <laughs> you could see the lava flowing, like the, the rock is actually moving. It's stunning. Uh, but most of the time, it, we're just on this very, very slowly imperceptible to humans uh, moving planet and, 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 and continents are colliding or moving away from each other and vast new mountain ranges are slowly forming. And just trying to imagine living so much slower that we could appreciate that is 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 to me it opens up a whole new world a whole new way I, of thinking i think it totally does and i mean I, I believe that it's accessible to us but we just have to prioritize it because i think so many are suffering from this modern pace of go 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 and they oh, wish yeah. desperately that they could slow it down mm -hmm. where one maybe one of the best things that somebody could do is they Tyson Young Porter talks about it in his sand, in his book Sand Talk. He's uh, he's of Aboriginal descent, and he said stones are a huge part of their culture. And he said, "You go and talk to stone people if you need a lesson in patience." I love it. Go and talk to stone people, <laughs> and spending time with geology yeah. and these formations that yeah are billions of years old. Right, right. If you want to feel something ancient, pick up a rock as yeah. you're walking and don't kick it down there. Don't ignore it. Right. Just be mesmerized allow yourself to be mesmerized by absolutely. it absolutely and hey a little plug for the falls of the ohio uh <gasps> you can cross over to southern indiana and get in directly touch you know fossil beings that were on this planet 185 million years ago like it's just amazing uh to connect with that that vast history yes. uh, and not just rock history but other creatures that are gone to us now, right? Like, it's amazing. I need to reintroduce our guest today here on the expansive conversation we're having in, in sustainability now with Laura Obanoff. She is a neighbor of one of our former guests on the program, Jason Abbott, out in Deer Park, and she's a mom and a lifelong artist and now working on this master's degree in ecology and spirituality. 
And we need to dive into another mm -hmm. way of conceptualizing this, which is morphic resonance. Yeah. What is that concept all about? Morphic resonance, when I first learned about it, sort of blew my mind along with <laughs> the, the Akashic field integral theory of everything. Yeah. So um, Rupert Sheldrake, who uh, came up with the theory of morphic resonance, was a biochemist. Oh, okay. um, and much of his early training, he's from the U.K., uh, was in labs, and he was very disturbed in a sense that how he was learning at life was basically segmentation and killing things, basically, in order to learn about the life form. With of course, yeah, that's what we're It's so much do. of what it is. <laughs> and even though uh, along the lines of doing this, there were so many things that could not be explained um, because so much of uh, manifest reality does not originate within the biology. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily originate within the brain. They still cannot un really understand, you know, why limbs would form in a certain way in different organisms or what what happened this how did um, how does the learning process originate or accelerate in different species and so he came up with this theory of morphic resonance where uh, Consciousness is thought to be this all-pervasive field, similar to the Akashic field, that when, and it's, it's a constant um, reciprocal exchange, both by what is continually collected out there from sort of the records of all time of life, and also the biology that is existing right now and kind of interplaying with this giant or this giant all-pervasive field. Yeah. And so there are habits of formation and habits of learning that are held within these fields of resonance. So let's say you are a certain species, you're, um, as you come into form, you are drawing from these fields of, of morphic resonance to come into form. As you are learning a new skill as, let's say, a, a, a person or an animal, if there are other members of your species who have learned a skill before, it is going to be quicker for you to learn. They could never explain this in the biology, but they can explain it through the fields of morphic resonance. And they've done it, they were, and it, it explains certain phenomena as non-locality. And this goes back to particle physics with quantum hmm. physics. Like once something is entangled, uh, it will affect any member of that entangled party, even if they become separated across space or time, uh -oh. they are still affected. So if somebody, uh, let's say they were teaching a rat a certain skill, a rat that is not connected to that rat in space or time would be able to more quickly learn the skill that that other rat wow. picked up. And they've been doing this study not only with animals, but humans. They've been doing it with plant studies. Yes, yes, I was it's, just thinking. Yeah, plants. There's so many new studies of plant consciousness and um, shared emotional states between humans and animals that he's done, written books on and humans and their plants. They, he had one one um, study where uh, he took a human and their house plants that there was a good relation, the plants were thriving, and um, he put some kind of receiver to to check the, the plants uh, sort of fields or electrical fields or impulses and then uh, took the human away and had them view emotionally uh, evocative images and they got the readings the same kind of readings on the the human and the readings on the human match the readings of the plant that were in a completely different um, wow. space so this it's huh. notion of entanglement and that when there is a bond between um, between essences or entities whether we're going at the the quantum level or whether we're going on the macro level there is a connection Wow uh-huh yeah. <laughs> 
All right, we've got 10 minutes left, and I've got a zillion questions about morphic resonance, about particle physics, all the, oh my gosh. We're going to have to encourage our listeners to read some books about it, because it's <laughs> such a big concept. But what I'd like to spend the rest of our time talking about yeah. is what this means in terms of our own practice, right? Yeah. Um, because I, I feel like there's two reactions a listener could have to this. One is like just kind of total deer in the headlights, like, oh, I don't get it. I'll never get it. Uh, it's too much. Um, yeah. If everything has consciousness, well, I couldn't move in the right. world. Like, what could I possibly do? So like, it would be almost like dismiss it because it's just too of much. Of course. The other is, is <laughs> the other end of that spectrum, I guess, is um, not knowing what to do with all that information, yeah. right? And so what do you recommend as yeah. some good practices in our daily lives just to open ourselves up sure. to this? I think the number one, I mean, I, I totally get the deer in headlights and sometimes feeling like with the pace. I mean, I, I struggle with it, too. You know, you're trying to keep up. How do we take all of this in and yeah. have sensitivity for it all? Um, but like so many of the theories posit, whether we like it or not, it is happening. So... Certainly, our own anxiety about it will not will not serve because if we're sending if we're making our own quanta within our body anxious, right. what are we sending out and what perspective now are we observing the rest of the world with? So it's making an already tense situation worse. <laughs> so I would say probably the first thing that we need to do is open ourselves to that notion that um, our anxiety or our sense of desperation matters, and perhaps we need to prioritize ways to mediate that. Mm. Um, you know, that's meditation and mindfulness practice are thousands of years old and connected to indigenous cosmologies for mm. a reason, mm. because it connects you to that sort of Akashic or cosmic or consciousness mm. field um, where you become expansive, where it's not just about you in your reality in this moment. Also, it opens your, you to just be more aware of how you're interacting with right, your day. Most right. of us just really aren't aware. And that's okay, because we've never really been taught to prioritize being aware. We're usually taught to prioritize rushing to be more productive. Mm. To um, I, I, I often think, um, especially in modern culture and and, and I would say, obviously, as American, I'm, I'm speaking from my American experience, we are taught to prioritize our work and our economy sort of first and foremost. How, right, can, right. We, how can we produce more? <laughs> how can we make a bigger profit? How can we save more? Where are we going in the future? And that rush in that, that linear um, growth pattern is taking our eye off what is happening right in front of us, and it's causing so much anxiety and stress that... We are not mindful, and if we are, we are just anxious about it. So, um, which is why so many advise us to try and live more in the moment, right? And be present, right, with each other and with the non-living beings around us, right, right, um, and so that we can really build a foundation of good relationships. I think, yeah, I right. think that's vital. Um, but, but yes, that that future focused. Well, for some of us, we're also stuck in the past. I mean, that can happen, too. Absolutely. I think that's true, too. <laughs> and, and hung up on mistakes made in the past and those kinds of things. And then we become addicts or there's all kinds of ways yeah. this story can play out, right? right. Um, but being able to be mindful and in the moment is, is how do we learn these skills, Laura? Where do we go yeah. to learn about <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, I mean, that is it, so many, depending on um, somebody's own individual spiritual practice. The great thing about meditation, which I still 
still go back to meditation is because it, it does not have to follow one specific faith. And there's yeah. so many different options out there um, for mindfulness practice. But a lot of them do, again, encourage encourage that slowing down, which I think that is, yeah. it's weird. I'm not sure which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Does somebody <laughs> need to know how to slow down first before they can meditate? Or do they meditate and then through that learn how to slow down? Yeah. And I think um, it probably just depends on what resonates for you. But through the awareness, I think you can become clear on what is your what are your obstacles to having quality relationships yeah. with those things and people around you. What is causing you the anxiety? What is getting in the way? For many, I know, um, for many, our, our work schedules and this demand for 40-hour um, work weeks and full-time employment is often considered the only valid form of employment, which, you know, I, I personally take a lot of issue with. Um, yeah. You know, I think everybody has a lot to offer in the way of career, of course, but work is about more than something you do for somebody else to earn a paycheck. Mm -hmm. It's about contribution and that comes in many forms. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see, I think a lot of possibilities could open up if um, part-time or different schedule employments were, mm -hmm. uh, were available across the spectrum of all different types of careers. If somebody, instead of having to feel pressure to put in eight to 10 hours of the office, not counting commute, could back that down to a level where they felt like, oh, I can still contribute in this area, but I also now can contribute to these other areas of my personal ecology that need managing, hmm. whether I'm a caregiver to a child, a parent, a, a, a significant other, whether I want to become involved in my community, whether I want to learn something about gardening, whether I want to stop using energy-sucking appliances right. like washers and dryers and dishwashers hmm. or takeout or all these things to um, just make it through and start doing more things by hand to be more ecologically conscious. Yeah. Stop relying on certain labor that is often too often underpaid that keeps the rest of our schedule moving, but is not um, it, there's not a respectful or reciprocal relationship happening there. Yeah. But in order to take time to, in order to take a, a responsibility for those areas, it takes prioritization and it takes time. And often, you know, that that also lines lines up often with privilege. You know, those whose sure. whose back is against the wall with a paycheck, they're not going to necessarily have the time yet while they're still just trying to make ends meet. But for those with more privilege who also usually are the ones setting the standards of expectation in our society, it has to sort of start there of changing the standard mm -hmm. and advocating for different practices that allow for time, hmm. I think, for everyone. Well, so in our last few minutes, I want you to tell me, Laura, how do you manage to be the, incorporate these practices, as especially as a mom, I mean, yeah. in your family? And how do you make mindfulness part of your, your daily practice? Yeah. Well, a lot of this, I will say, for a lot of it, it has been luck. I have, I mean, it has been no doubt a quest of me prioritizing it. And I, they're, they're, these are things I've never been able to get out of my head. I mm. mean, I have always loved, I've loved philosophy and consciousness and the spiritual quest. Um, uh, however, a lot of it, I mean, my circumstances a couple of years ago were very different. Um, and then through some luck, I was, I was granted some privilege that allowed me a little bit more space mm. to transition that. But 
aside from that, a lot of it was also just deconditioning myself. Yeah. Um, a few, or no, just uh, during the pandemic, um, or right before, I'm sorry, right before the pandemic, I was working downtown at the time. And I remember thinking, you know, I wanted a deeper relationship with nature. Mm. Um, I also wanted to more physical activity, but I remember I was racing in my car to drive there. And I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> if right. I mean, it's four miles away, I have legs. What if I started just walking there? I walked four miles there and four miles home, you know, every single day just to try to reset that. And then that sort of act set off a whole bunch of other small steps. And sure I'm does. far away from where I would like to be in the deep green of my spectrum. But I feel like every step, yeah. every prioritization to decondition yourself yeah. from the rush and the pace is a step in the right direction. Yeah. People often ask me, like, how I have time to ride my bike everywhere because I don't drive, right? And I'm always like, I never think about that as a problem. Like, to me, it's the most wonderful part of my day. It's yeah. like, it's a, like, just relax and feel like a kid again on two wheels, right? And, and not yeah. have to worry about where I'm going to park or yeah. <laughs> paying for this thing. or You know, it's such an unburdening yes. uh, to, to, to liberate yourself from a car or all these other things in our modern world that we assume to be necessary for happiness and survival. And I think a lot of it is actually taking away from our happiness and our ability to connect. I think that's so much. We think that they're the way forward, but really they're taking. It's There's a giant cost that we're not always aware of. It is a liberation. It yeah. is not a punishment. Yeah. And I think that is one of the biggest things when you're trying to liberate yourself from an addiction, which mm. a lot of us have to our lifestyle. We're just not aware of it. Right. It's not a punishment. Yeah. It's not a consequence. It's not about guilt. It's a liberation. It's a liberation. What yeah. a great note to end on. Yeah. My goodness, the time has flown by. <laughs> Laura Obanoff, we're going to have to have you back on the program because clearly there's a lot more to talk about here. <laughs> so, and I want to learn more about your pause uh, yeah. and, and what you learned from it uh, going forward. So I'm going to have to invite you back. But thank you so yeah. much for taking the time today. Thank you so much, Justin. It was a joy to be here. Thank it you. Was. <laughs> it was a great, great pleasure. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a minute, your community action calendar. I don't want to rush your week or give you too much to do. But hey, there are going to be some great opportunities for you to maybe live in the moment of the week and make sustainability a reality now. So stay tuned, my friends. I hope you've got your pencils sharpened and your calendars out because this is your week to take action for sustainability. A few announcements before we get to the calendar. 50 free trees are available for Louisville Neighborhood Associations. The Division of Community Forestry can give your neighborhood association 50 trees to plant anywhere along the right of way along your streets in your neighborhood. And you should just contact the Division of Community Forestry to get started by 
emailing communityforestry at louisvilleky.gov. Now, here's the calendar for the week. Tuesday, November 16th, kicks it all off at 4 p.m. online. The University of Louisville welcomes you to the Sustainability Roundtable featuring Jan Knappage, board chair of the Community Farm Alliance, which works to organize and encourage cooperation among rural and urban citizens through leadership development and grassroots democratic processes to ensure a prosperous place for family farms in our economies and communities. Jan hails from Wolf County and has dedicated the last decade of her life to food and farming. Since moving to Kentucky in 2014, she has had the privilege to work with several organizations in their efforts to create food access for limited resource Kentuckians. And not just any food, but fresh local food. In her current position with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service, she focuses on working with SNAP and SNAP eligible audiences on local food system projects. She also co-owns a small farm outside of Winchester, Kentucky, and she chose this lifestyle because of her desire to walk gently on this earth and to work in tandem with Mother Nature. No registration for her roundtable is necessary. You can just find the link to join at louisville.edu sustainability. And again, it's taking place Tuesday at 4 p.m. online. Now, also on Tuesday and on the third Tuesday of every month of the year at 6 p.m. online, it is the West Jefferson County Community Task Force monthly meeting happening on November 16th. As you heard when we interviewed Arnita Gatson recently on Truth to Power right here on Ford Radio, the West Jefferson County Community Task Force brings concerns and important information to residents and businesses about environmental health and wellness issues that impact our communities. Topics vary each month. You can join the conversation let your voice be heard and get the answers you need monthly topics are posted at facebook.com slash wjcctf and you can get more information at wjcctf.com and join them online tuesday at 6 p.m also on Tuesday evening, maybe you could do both. Jump on over at 7 p.m. for the Greater Louisville Sierra Club monthly program, Nature for Everyone. It's online on Tuesday evening. Join us for this presentation from Bennett Knox, Parks Administrator of Jefferson Memorial Forest since 2001. Based out at the forest, the Natural Areas Division of Metro Parks and Rec is responsible for the care of over 7,500 acres and is working to improve the condition of neglected natural spaces like Caperton Swamp over on River Road, Waverly Park in southwest Louisville, and the Scotts Gap section of Jefferson Memorial Forest. Over the past 10 years, with support of Wilderness Louisville Incorporated, Natural Areas staff have been dedicated to addressing equitable access to programming and infrastructure with a specific focus on the citizens of West Louisville. On Tuesday, Bennett Knox will discuss this work and the proposed Shawnee Outdoor Learning Center, Sierra Club programs, live or virtual like this one are always free and open to the public. You can learn more and register for the Tuesday 7 p.m. monthly program with Bennett Knox at sierraclub.org slash Kentucky. Also on Tuesday at the same time, you're going to have to pick and choose. I'm sorry, my friends. It's also online Tuesday at 7 p.m. KFTC presents What to Expect in the General Assembly for 2022, an economic justice webinar. This year, legislators will pass a budget for our state that can either use the surplus of federal money we have right now on things that we actually need or squander that surplus on tax cuts for the wealthy. KFTC's Economic Justice Committee invites you to join us in this webinar to learn about the opportunity 
opportunities we have this upcoming General Assembly to invest in our communities. If you'd like to attend this webinar through Zoom, you must register at mobilize.us slash KFTC. And you can find the link to register or you can watch them live on Facebook at facebook.com slash JCKFTC. That's Jefferson County, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. Find them at facebook.com slash JCKFTC. Now, taking place Wednesday, November 17th and Thursday, the 18th, it's public workshops for the Preston Corridor Plan. Metro government invites you to participate in the public workshop for the Preston Corridor Plan that will take place on Wednesday and Thursday. The Preston Corridor Plan is a long-range plan for the entirety of the corridor spanning all the way from the waterfront on the Ohio River to the county line with the goal of creating a vision for the corridor that prioritizes people-first transportation, land use, and economic development. Metro's in the early stages of the planning process and they're looking for input from community members and stakeholders. Bring your ideas about improvements from redevelopment and street improvements to travel by car, bus, bike, or on foot. It all kicks off on Wednesday, November 17th in the morning. They'll be at six different locations along the Preston Corridor where you can share your vision with Louisville Metro Government. From 9 a.m. to 9.45, you can find them either at the Oak Street Food Mart, 331 East Oak Street, or at the Heine Brothers there at 8.22 Eastern Parkway. From 10 to 1045, they'll be at Sunnergoss Coffee at 2122 South Preston Street, as well as out on Preston Highway at Supermercado Guanajuato there at 6201 Preston Highway. And then from 11 to 1145, you can find them at Logan Street Market, 1001 Logan Street, or Viet Hoa Food Market at 7100 Preston Highway. And there'll be stakeholder sessions uh, on land use and catalytic sites taking place from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m out at the South Central Regional Library there at 7300 Jefferson Boulevard. From 2.30 to 3.30, it'll be a stakeholder session on mobility and streets, and there'll be a public open house from 6 to 7.30 out at the South Central Regional Library. And then on Thursday the 18th, another public open house from 3.30 to 5.30. To learn more about the project and take a brief survey for your opinions, go to PrestonCorridorPlan.org. That's Preston corridorplan.org Also on Wednesday, November 17th at 5.30pm Bernheim presents a virtual program Planting Your Path with special guest Abra Lee. In this conversation, Abra Lee will discuss her garden roots from the dirt road country of the rural south to a lesson in family history that helped define her life's purpose. Abra Lee is an Atlanta-based horticulturalist, speaker, writer, and founder of Conquer the Soil. Her work seeks to break down the barriers that prevent black people from participating in horticulture. She's a graduate of Auburn University College of Ag. You can learn more and register for this virtual program on Wednesday at 5.30 by going to bernheim.org B-E-R-N-H-E-I-M dot org. Now also Wednesday the 17th at 6 p.m. on Zoom, it's the next Green Drinks with Solar Over Louisville presented by Julie Donna from Metro Government. The Louisville Sustainability Council and Metro Government have partnered to launch a solarized campaign to offer residents a discount on the price of installing solar energy. Julie Donna will announce the exciting details of this new campaign and share how it fits into Louisville's goal of community-wide clean energy 100% by 2040. If you've been considering solar, now is the time. So learn more about the campaign and sign up for early access at 100percentlou.com slash 2040. And you can find more information in the link to register at louisvillesustainabilitycouncil.org for that Wednesday 17th. 
6 p.m. Zoom. Also Thursday, November 18th through Saturday the 20th at the Kentucky Center, it's the Festival of Faiths, Sacred Change, Essential Conversations on Faith and Race. The 2021 Festival of Faiths will examine issues of systemic racism in America and the role of spirituality in healing the trauma of oppression. Festival organizers, the Center on Interfaith Relations, has enlisted the guidance of local black theologians and educators to help curate the 2021 Festival of Faith. Sessions will include Keeping Emmett's Casket Open, Racial Reckoning in America and Louisville, hosted by Simmons College, Black Face Encounter with Black Trauma, Pain, and Nihilism, hosted by Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, The Ghosts and Growing Edges of Black Faith, Intersectional and Interreligious Conversations, hosted by U of L Pan African Studies and the Ann Braden Institute, The Inner Work of Racial Justice, featuring Rhonda McGee, author, law professor, and mindfulness practitioner, Truth and Repair, hosted by Spalding University and Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and Walk of Truth, hosted by the Unknown Project. Information and registration is available at festivaloffaiths.org, and it all kicks off on Thursday. Speaking of Thursday, it's the third Thursday lecture series presented by the Fellowship of Reconciliation and Sowers of Justice Network. Thursday, November 18th at noon, Dr. Ricky Jones will be speaking on the teaching of African American and Native American history. Dr. Jones takes his research interests on African American politics and leadership, political theory, African American nationalism, violence and resistance, and the African American male from the classroom to the streets of Louisville, the pages of the Courier Journal, the Leo Weekly, and the radio. As an activist and public scholar working for socially just reforms and a deeper understanding of America's racial past, Dr. Jones's forthright analyses and strong voice are also sought by national and international media. The event will also be live-streamed on the Sowers of Justice Facebook page, which is also where you can find the link to register. It's at facebook.com slash S-O-J-N-L-O-U. That's facebook.com slash S-O-J-N-L-O-U. Now, on Friday, November 19th, U of L is hosting its annual wreath-making workshop from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. out at the Garden Commons there at the southwest corner of Strickler Hall. Join us in U of L's organic student-managed garden to get in the holiday spirit. Come learn how to make your own beautiful wreath using a variety of plant materials that we'll harvest from campus and herbs from our garden. It's easier than you might think, and you'll take home something beautiful and unique. So you can learn more at louisville.edu sustainability. Right after that, on Friday, come indoors with me at noon in Ekstrom Library Room 254 or online. It's the UofL Eco Reps Lunch and Learn on Community Wealth Building with the amazing Cassa Heron, a leader in Kentucky's local food movement and as a community organizer, urban planner, writer, community development consultant, and social justice warrior who has extensive experience working to improve urban and rural communities right here in Kentucky. She currently leads the Louisville Association for Community Economics, which is educating the Louisville community about cooperative economics and leading efforts to open the Louisville Community Grocery. Heron serves as Vice Chair of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. She's also a contributing writer for the Leo Weekly. You can find more information and a link to join at louisville.edu slash sustainability. No need to pre-register. Just join us online or in Ekstrom Library 254 at noon on Friday. Also want to let you know that the very last of the 2021 pop-up drop-offs is happening this Saturday, November 20th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., 
out at UofL's Shelby campus, 440 North Whittington Parkway. There'll be free recycling for up to three household electronics, metals and appliances, all kinds of household recyclables, proper disposal of prescription medications, yard waste for composting, on-site paper shredding for recycling, and uh, recycling of up to four passenger tires. It is all happening on Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. out at UofL's Shelby campus. And lastly, I want to let you know that Sunday, November 21st at 3 p.m. is the Kentucky Resources Council's annual meeting taking place virtually this year. We'll hear about the state of our environment from Tom Fitzgerald, award the Sue Ann Salmon Community Advocacy Award and the Winnie Helper Lifetime Achievement Award. We'll hear from KRC's new director, Ashley Wilms, and lift each other up to protect our commonwealth. You can register at kyrc.org, kyrc.org for the Sunday, November 21st, 3 p.m. virtual annual meeting of the Kentucky Resources Council. And that is all the time we have for today. Thank you all for tuning in, and I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Yeah, yeah, come and take.